Welcome to the Video Insiders Podcast. I'm Tom Martin. And I'm Carlos Pacheco. And we are two grizzled YouTube industry veterans who are going to take you behind the scenes of what happens behind some of the world's biggest YouTube channels. How are you, Carlos? What's what's the word on the streets this uh, week? I'm I'm very warm, very warm. Um, if anyone that lives anyone that lives in Toronto, you are just loving this podcast for the weather updates. <laughs> well, anyone else is tuned out. I think Thanks, Carlos. Literally, the world's going through a heat wave these days, right? The non-existent climate change that you know many people say is not true. Yeah, well, we we actually had to cancel our last uh, scheduled recording because I was too hot. We were <laughs> melting here in London. Uh, you know, I won't mention the fact that I also went and, you know, got drunk for the rest of the day, but it was too hot to record a podcast it's, in this it's tiny It's pretty office. amazing that you can just decide to get drunk for the rest of the day. Well, we're in Canada, so I can go and just get high for the rest of the day. <laughs> <laughs> We're not at that stage yet. Yeah. Um, great. So this is going to be an interesting show. But first off, say a big thank you to our supporter, TubeBuddy. TubeBuddy is a YouTube optimization tool that we have been using for many years and highly recommend to our clients. It helps you manage uh, multiple YouTube channels, even YouTube networks for optimization creating thumbnails, mass uploads, mass modifications to your video library. I couldn't recommend it enough. We are very happy that they've been supporting us since the start of this podcast and hopefully for a long time to come. And if you want to check out TubeBuddy, if you're for some very, very strange reason not using it already, you can get a unique and exclusive multi-channel discount by visiting videoinsiders.fm forward slash TubeBuddy. Thank you, TubeBuddy. Yeah, so we've got a bit of a different type of episode today. We're back with another interview. Uh, I think this one is going to be really, really fascinating, Carlos. Uh, I'm not sure if you've met this week's guest. No more suspense. The This week's guest is the very distinguished Ryan Bossack, um, who is the, the founder of an amazing company called Superbam. And we're going to find out all about those guys today. You Have you ever met Ryan before? Have you ever come across Superbam before? No, I have not. And funny enough, like I've only heard of Ryan after listening to this interview you had with him. And he was talking about his career and I'm like, how have I not run into this guy? Because, you know, he was talking, he's talked about working at Machinima, working at full screen. And those are companies that I, you know, had discussions with and, and were talking to back in my uh, days at Just for Laughs when we were negotiating MCN stuff. And I have to admit, I have to admit, listening to him, I, I have a little bit of a man crush on him. He's, he's my soulmate when it comes to... <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, when it comes to the way he thinks, the, what the company does, helps creators, uh, is straight up, no BS when it comes to like the whole MCN thing. It's sort of like that purest MCN that I've always dreamed of creating myself of like, we just want to help the creators make money, protect their IP and educate them. I think that was sort of something lost in the rush of MCNs over the last 10 or so years that just came in and did a, a land grab and none of them really supported the creator. And Superband sounds like that's the type of company that I would have loved to set up. And I'm, I'm, I'm literally lifting my hand over here saying like, if uh, Ryan wants to create Superband Canada... I'm like in line to help them out with that. Yeah, it's very hard not to have a man crush on Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? Carlos is true colors coming out here. But uh, yeah, this is an amazing episode. Uh, a lot around content ID and the state of content ID. If you haven't yet listened to our previous episodes, which, which we dedicated to content ID, Go back into the archives on whatever podcast player you're listening to this on. Uh, episode eight, I believe it is, talking about all about what content ideas and kind of lifting the lid on the CMS and stuff like that. So that's going to give you a lot of background to this episode if you're not really sure about what content ideas and, and who has control over content ideas. So no more further ado. We're going to jump into this really interesting interview and we'll be back afterwards to uh, fill in any gaps and put a bow on the conversation. Awesome. Let's go. 
So hello everyone, I am so delighted to introduce a good friend of mine and someone I've known now for, I'd say at least a year or so, it is Ryan Bossack. He is known as the founder and CEO of Superband, which we'll, we'll come to learn a lot more about. And if you don't know Ryan, you would have seen him at VidCon or VidSummit or one of those great conferences, and you would have noticed him by his incredible flowing locks of hair. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd have to say, Ryan, you've probably got the second best hair in the YouTube industry. Uh, I'm sure you won't disagree that Rob Sandy... Uh, has an incredible set of curly locks. But, yeah, uh, absolutely. That's quite a compliment, though. Thank you so much. Best, you know, I'm at totally the other end of that spectrum. So, uh, <laughs> you know, so please, let's let's get straight into it. You know, I'm not going to give you an introduction. I want you to introduce yourself. Who is Ryan Bossack and who are Superbam? Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me on the show today. I really appreciate it, um, the opportunity. So, uh, yeah, uh, who am I? Uh, my name's Ryan. Uh, I have been working in media for almost 20 years now. Um, I got my start in traditional. Um, so I used to work on the crew side on reality TV shows. Um, several that you may have heard of, uh, like Super Nanny. I did several seasons of that. Um, oh, wow. I'm a big Super Nanny fan. Did you have Joe Frost in the States? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, my word. She's a hero of mine. She's a lovely person. Absolutely lovely person. So. Sorry to interrupt, just, just you know, fangirling over here over <laughs> uh, Joe Frost and Super Nanny. They've actually got a really great YouTube channel. Yeah. So do go and check that out as well. Yeah, she's been social hard for the last few years. And, uh, you know, that parlayed into me um, uh, getting involved in digital in 2010. Um, I got my start at a company called Machinima, uh, which at the time was the largest uh, network uh, focused entirely on gaming. Um, and then I switched over to uh, Style Hall, where I was uh, co-founder and the uh, head of deployment. And I was there for about two years before I made the jump over to full screen, uh, where I was the VP of network operations for five years. During my tenure in all these uh, YouTube companies, you know, I just entirely focused on the back end. So what's known as the YouTube CMS or content management system, uh, which is the system that allows us to kind of... Um, uh, link channels, control monetization, uh, uh, create assets, def make definitions for how content behaves on the front end of YouTube um, uh, through this back-end portal. Um, and I got really good at that. Um, and I got particularly good at doing this thing called Content ID. Um, and what Content ID is, is it's a technology that YouTube built that allows you to scale intellectual property management on the YouTube platform. So you uh, give it these things called reference files and that checks the system to see if anything matches the content that you've given it. Um, and then you can uh, go and claim content from there and uh, manage your, your rights um, on that platform. Um, and that ultimately led to me founding SuperBAM. You know, I, like I said, I spent a lot of time at, at multi-channel networks and there were some great things about being there. I certainly learned a lot, but there were some things that I didn't think were as supportive towards creators in, in the business model. And so I created an entirely different business model. So we do content ID management for creators and media companies that doesn't require channel linking or long-term contracts, those sorts of things. Um, that, that most of the MCNs want. So in essence, you're providing uh, a kind of a outsourced content ID service without having to join a traditional network. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, that's totally correct. Briefly, before we, we started recording, you, you mentioned that you'd, you'd just moved offices. What was the decision behind that? Is that is that a sign that the company is outgrowing its uh, its previous home? How big is the company? What's the current state of the company? You know, when we first spoke, it was it was pretty new, and I know that you've taken on some uh, new team members since then, and even some investments. So, if you could let us know a bit more about how the company's evolved since it was first founded, that would be you know really interesting. Yeah, sure. So um, I started the company in December of 2017. So we've been at it for just about 20 months now. You know, like a lot of uh, startups, it, it literally started at my kitchen table and brought on my first uh, employee um, a couple months after that. 
We moved into a WeWork. Uh, we were there for about six months before I kind of uh, fulfilled my fantasy of being Ehrlich Bachman uh, and moving the company um, into my house. Uh, and we ran the company out of my house for an entire year. We grew during that time from uh, two of us to 11 people. All in your house with yeah. 11 people? Yeah, all in my house. How does that work? And how does your family cope with uh, 10 strangers being in the house every day? Well, fortunately, uh, you know, my, my girlfriend has a, a full-time job, so she wasn't really around to, uh, to have to see everybody, although she did know that they were there. <laughs> so that was... Dishwasher was always full. Exactly. Constantly being run. So that's kind of how we coped with it. That has a big, uh, big part to do with uh, why we moved our offices. After a, a year of being in my house, it just felt like the right time to kind of, let's formalize this and, you know, things are going well, so let's, let's get ourselves kind of a home base. Uh, you know, we also, uh, I think when you and I first met, we probably had about five clients. I think we're up to about 125 now. Um, uh, pretty much all top tier talent. So our, the average subscriber count of, of our clients is around about 4 million subscribers and, and up from there. Uh, so we're working with, you know, more established, uh, YouTube creators and a couple media companies. Yeah, that's really interesting for me because coming from a background of media companies at you know, companies like the BBC, where they have vast catalogs of uh, TV shows and movies that are published on YouTube and stuff that's not published on YouTube. You've really found a, a niche in Superband for protecting the rights management of, you know, quote unquote, YouTube YouTubers or YouTube creators. That was never really something that I was aware of that there was, you know, such a, a problem for YouTubers having their stuff uh, downloaded and re-uploaded or such an appetite for audiences you know, to see that kind of content in the, I don't know, what would you call it? Like a secondary, the secondary market on YouTube. Yeah. Um, can you talk a bit about how that kind of manifest manifests itself? Uh, you know, how, are, what are people doing with your creator's material? Yeah. So, I mean, it's probably best to start with how I even got started um, with all of this, which was uh, during my time at full screen. Um, you know, when I first came into full screen, uh, we were working with a, a large uh, uh, clip library um, uh, and we were running content ID for them. And it, it was kicking off quite a bit of revenue. And I was pretty interested in, in this particular revenue stream once I got there. And I started scratching my head and just saying, are we doing this for our creators? And, you know, I unpacked it and, and, and found that uh, we hadn't been and, you know, started to deliver reference files um, and found pretty quickly that there was a big opportunity. You know, what I've found over time is that, look, anyone creating content, if you have an audience, once you create content and put it somewhere, it's going to go everywhere, you know, whether that's malicious content pirates or that's very benign fans that just want to share. And this is sort of the sociology of, I think, how people interact with media today. You know, that content's going to float around and it's, it's going to float around to different platforms as well. And I think that's the other really important thing. So, you know, learning that there is this incremental audience that exists, um, I think, is incredibly valuable and is something that, that, you know, isn't really easy to surface and isn't being well surfaced today, um, really by anyone that that's kind of how I got my start in all of this. So in talking about how the, the kind of company came to be formed, I remember being at, uh, VidCon Europe and being in a taxi with a, a good friend and colleague of mine. And I said to him, you know, there's a big gap in the market for, you know, a, co a company that only does content ID and, you know, you don't have to uh, give them a, a, a cut of your, your, your channel revenue. And he looked at me and he said, Oh yeah, I just saw a talk from someone yesterday. They just launched it. It's, it's called, <laughs> it's called Superbound. And I was like, Oh, well, good luck. Good luck to them. And I, I quickly reached out to you after that yeah. to give you kudos for starting that idea. But how did you manage to get the, uh, kind of infrastructure to be able to, you know, to, to just launch that from day one, because that's not something that the public can just do. I can't just start claiming rights for people on YouTube. And, and from conversations that I've had with you, I, I know that you, you are kind of well revered and you've got a kind of a seat at the table, uh, with YouTube. Uh, 
to to some extent so how how does that relationship with youtube manifest itself today and how did you kind of uh manage to kind of traverse that that gap of infrastructure that you know so many people have and you know i know so many people that are on the hunt for their own cms uh, probably myself included so this is probably a bit of a selfish ask question as well but i'd love to know about your relationship with youtube directly and how that came about and how that is today yeah so uh, let's start with um the different layers of of what content id is because i do think that that's a piece in there that is a little confusing to people. Sure. You know, YouTube for a lot of creators has launched into creator studio, kind of a quote unquote content ID light where it will provide discovery for you and you can issue DMCA takedowns, right? So that's kind of like the base level of service that you can get. Uh, I guess one layer below that would be just using the takedown form if you don't have access to uh, to rights management in Creator Studio. The next layer is having a CMS or YouTube content management system that just has content ID access. So what content ID access is, is it allows you to deliver these things called reference files, which are copies of your videos that go into a separate server at YouTube. And then whenever a video gets uploaded to YouTube, it gets checked against these servers to see if there's any matching content. Um, And it also does a backlog check over time of all the content that's ever been uploaded to YouTube. So that's kind of the next level of, uh, of content ID services. And then there's like kind of the ultimate access, which is not only the ability to deliver reference files, but the ability to do what's called manual claiming. And manual claiming is a process where you actually go in, you search uh, metadata. So key terms that you know people are using to title and tag videos. And you go find more of the content that matches the content that you are, are looking for out there. That's kind of the ultimate layer of service that you can have um, uh, available to you. And that's that's behind pretty guarded walls. They don't really open that up for very many people. The way that I got access to this, you know, I developed over time a, a pretty good relationship with YouTube. So I dealt quite a bit with YouTube back in 2011, 2012, when Style Hall was getting started. I was responsible at that time for the channel onboarding process. So that was the process of, you know, partnering with the channel and bringing them into your CMS account. So I was running that over there. And then when I came to full screen, uh, they actually gave me the YouTube relationship in its entirety. Um, and through all of the work that I was doing there with, uh, you know, both running a team, doing all the channel onboarding, offboarding, asset management, claims management, content ID, through that process, they actually came to really trust me. And furthermore, I, I'd actually built some technology uh, to kind of streamline the content ID workflow because I was doing enough of it that I sort of saw where the bottlenecks were that were slowing down our process. We built some tech on top of it. And so that actually got me introduced to the team building content ID at YouTube. And I became close with those guys. So in 2017, you know, they kind of approached me and said, hey, like, we need more service providers out there. And we've earmarked content ID as something that we want. And, uh, you know, we know you, we trust you. So if you would like to start a company, uh, we'll, be, we'll be supportive of that. And honestly, the partnership with YouTube has been phenomenal. You know, they've completely enabled me to, to do what I'm doing today. I couldn't do it without the, the access that they've given me. But it is very guarded, and, and it's not something that they hand out broadly to a lot of people. Yeah, well, I think the fact that, you know, not only have they handed you the keys to those tools but kind of actively encouraged you to to kind of start a third party service is you know a huge advert to to your credentials and your credibility so again kudos kudos for that thank you yeah, it was definitely a pretty big vote of confidence for them. yeah so you know obviously you you've seen some you've seen some big growth you mentioned the the massive increase in um new clients and the I'm sure the number of assets is growing at a ridiculous rate. You've recently had some investment from a, another kind of closely related company to YouTube. Can you talk a bit more about your investment from Next 10? And for those people that don't know much about Next 10, maybe a bit of background on them and, and what you think that investment uh, brings to your company, not just in terms of finances, but in terms of uh, the people that are connected to that company and what they you think they can offer as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was introduced to Next10 uh, through some of my business contacts. Um, Next10 is a, a venture firm that was founded by a, a man named Ben Grubbs. Ben is a super smart guy that is very well connected. He's formerly the head of top talent at YouTube. Um, prior to that, he ran YouTube APAC, um, which is Asia, Asia Pacific. And, you know, he's just very well connected uh, throughout this industry and has an incredible history prior to his YouTube experience as well. And, you know, he left YouTube and kind of uh, really wanted to go found what was going to be what he thought was would be the next 10 years of, of digital media and created an investment fund that would be investing in um, uh, creator-supportive businesses and in, in creators and in content that they're actually creating themselves. And we were fortunate enough to be selected as one of their first five portfolio companies. It's been, you know, obviously cash is uh, the key to growth. It's been an incredible experience for us to get that money in the door and be able to invest in places where we know there's a lot more opportunity, uh, which has been for us, you know, we started with uh, the core of, of digital rights management and just doing that recently expanded into doing optimization uh, as well. Optimization is everything from just, you know, going in and, and cleaning up metadata on a single video all the way up to full white glove where we're editing, programming, uh, doing playlisting, all of that kind of stuff. You know, that runs the gamut over there. Also, we've been investing in, in building out some distribution services as well. So it's, it's really fueled our growth and just put us in a position to continue to take, you know, take hold of the opportunity that's in front of us. Because I think as, you know, we're seeing this landscape that's happening right now with a lot of the MCNs kind of going away and creators not having a place to go and, and continue to get the, the level of service that they were or maybe weren't getting at some of these MCNs. And so it's really put us in a position to be able to, to actually help people and, and, and bring the the heads in that we need to to continue to grow the business. And what are the the some of the changes to the platform that you've seen over the last few years? Um, you mentioned earlier about the the kind of select content ID know, content ID light tools, rights management tools that have been given to certain creators. And from my experience, that's only been rolled out to a certain amount of creators and it's certainly not available to everyone. Yeah. Uh, also, I think in the last couple of weeks, it might've been a VidCon announcement. Uh, I didn't have the pleasure of attending this year that content ID controllers would now have to have a bit more transparency about why they were claiming and give like timestamps towards the assets that they were claiming and stuff like that. Uh, also, there's been a lot of kind of uh, noise in the media, uh, whether you agree with it or not about, uh, you know, fair use and uh, that kind of stuff. Can you give a kind of general update uh as to like the the kind of current state of content id and rights management on youtube and how is that affecting uh your operations and, and your business as a whole yeah so there have been some uh, some changes for sure um the most notable change has been to manual claiming where it used to be that you could just go manually claim anything that you wanted um i mean obviously you should only be claiming what you have the rights for but you didn't have to tell YouTube or the person whose content you were claiming what you were claiming. The, the change has been that we now have to uh, add time code into a claim when we make it. So when we identify that a piece of content that, that we represent matches you know, from 25 seconds to 45 seconds, we have to put that in there, the start and end time code before we can process a claim. You know, in all honesty, like I actually think it's a really good thing for the creator community. When we would get complaints about manual claims, that would be the complaint, was that we weren't being transparent and they didn't know what we were claiming or if we even had rights to be claiming what we were claiming in it and that we were maybe one of these, you know, quote unquote, copyright trolls. So it's been really helpful, I think, to us to actually be able to provide that transparency. That was a product functionality that just didn't exist before. So there was no way for me to communicate with a, a creator whose content we were claiming that why we were claiming it. You know, obviously, there's been a, a million other changes to YouTube uh, in the last couple of years, for sure. I mean, the algorithm changes all the time. Um, there's been a lot of changes to ad monetization, demonetization, all of those kinds of things. 
So, uh, you know, there's been quite a bit that has gone on on the YouTube side. Have you seen, uh, you know, uh, in terms of like making it harder to get into the the partner program and demonetization and thresholds for monetization and stuff like that. Have you seen any kind of trend where you see the kind of, uh, for want of a better word, the content pirates uh, or people that are, are re-uploading uh, copyrighted content? Have you seen people kind of take their foot off the gas because for them the you know there's less reward in re-uploading ripped content because it's getting harder and harder for them to get any kind of advantage whether that be monetary or otherwise from running one of those channels you know it really depends Uh, i would say a little a little of column a and a little column b on that to be totally honest uh, you know, I think if you look at the major publishers and those guys right now, you're seeing and hearing oh, that they are claiming more than they have in the past. So I don't think that this is necessarily stopping them. That being said, you know, on the on on people who work on behalf of creators, they tend to not do a lot of manual claiming at all. In fact, um, my experience has been that most of these companies are only doing it on an ad hoc basis. So if you're requesting something to be claimed, they'll go and claim it, but they don't have people that are actually out there issuing the claims themselves. Um, so it really depends on kind of what side of the camp you're on. Um, if you're getting more or getting less. Yeah. I just, I just, I just think if I put my sneaky little hat on and, and try and think, well, you know, the reason I would think mainly there's going to be some super fans out there that are, you know, re-uploading and making compilations and, you know, fan fiction videos, whatever it may be. But I'd say in the most part, people are, are not ripping and uploading episodes of, you know, cartoons and stuff uh, for the sheer joy of it. They're probably doing it to hopefully sneakily get make some AdSense money before they get caught or to grow a channel and sell it once it gets to a certain size or whatever it may be. And I would just assume that as more and more obstacles are put in their way, uh, then maybe they're less motivated to start those channels in the first place, which ironically makes less money for the uh, original rights holder. So it's a bit of a strange kind of catch 22. I don't really have any hard evidence of that, but uh, it's just kind of, what my hunch would be, but um, it sounds like it's maybe not manifesting itself necessarily uh, that way. Yeah. I mean, it's not really slowing down um, to be honest. Uh, I just look, I, like I said earlier in in the broadcast here, um, I think the sociology of how people want to interact with media has dynamically changed due to the internet. You know, if we go back like, pre the printing press and pre ways to capture media and put things behind a paywall, the way that human beings shared media was they just shared it with each other. You know, if you knew a song, you'd go out to the town square and play it on your violin or whatever. You would share stories over a campfire or tell them to your children who would tell them to their children, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and that was just kind of the way that people interacted with media. And, and, you know, we spent a long time building a lot of laws and rules and paywalls couple hundred years of it. Uh, and it, it worked really well until about 1995. You know, the internet has just kind of broken those processes. Uh, so my belief is that the way that people want to interact with media, and I think this is true based on what I've seen, is that it's just dynamically changed. It's not the same. It's never going to be the same. And it, it, people are going to continue to take and share media, again, whether that's intentional content piracy, where they're doing what you were talking about, like taking it to actually build a channel and try and build a presence and maybe make some money before they get terminated and or build something they could sell to other people because it's got a bunch of subscribers on it. Uh, or it's just a, a casual fan that's like, oh my gosh, like I love, uh, you know, whatever big channel you want to talk about out there right now. Um, and I'm going to put this on my Facebook page, even though it's on YouTube right now, but I have a lot of likes on my Facebook page and I want people to see this. Uh, so I, I think that's kind of the, the lay of the land today a bit more. Uh, and you mentioned Facebook. Is Superbam's future being more than a YouTube services company? Are you thinking about uh, Facebook and you know, torrent sites and anything like that. What is, is the, are there other platforms that are on the, on the kind of product roadmap for Superbam? Absolutely. Yeah. We're, 
100% aware that we are not in a single platform world. You know, YouTube definitely was king for a long time. Uh, but there's a ton of video being uploaded to, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok is is massive right now, uh, as well as a lot of offshore platforms. So when you look into like the VKs of the world mm-hmm. and .com and uh, all of that, there's just, there's so much content there. We definitely want to be able to service everybody on all of those platforms. That's our goal over time. And uh, I'm assuming that not all platforms were created equally when it comes to providing those, the tools to be able to do that. So, you know, I'm, unless you're sitting there with an army of people serving, you know, DMCA takedown notices, uh, is it a bit of a, a waiting game to get, you know, you know, rights management tools for something like a, you know, Weibo in China or whatever it may be next? Yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, it, it's interesting, right? Like we've all seen all the troubles that YouTube has gone through in the last couple of years here. And I think all of the other platforms have probably really been watching that very closely and have learned a lot about it. Most of them don't have these kinds of products today. I think they all are very aware that they need these products and they need to be able to provide them. Um, At the very least, they need to offer DMCA takedown offerings, uh, which I think all of them have. But for sure, over time, these a lot of these platforms, you know, the most notable is Facebook. I mean, Facebook has a product called rights manager, uh, that they went into alpha testing with in 2015, um, and have been working on it ever since it's still not broadly launched everybody just like their partner program isn't, but, uh, you know, hopefully that will be, uh, at market in the next, let's call it 12 to 18 months. That'd be awesome. (laughs) So I, over time, I think that a lot of these companies will either build their own products or they will license other products or they will license service providers like Superbam to be helping them on their platforms. Mm. Uh, I've got a, I've got a, a broader question that I kind of wanted to end with, but I've got a really kind of specific question and I don't know if I'm being really stupid and showing my kind of inexperience or kind of a, out of shapeness when it comes to content ID, but I was having a conversation with, uh, a, a an ex colleague and a, a potential business partner the other day. And we were just talking generally about, uh, content ID cause he was working with a client who has a, a CMS and, um, we got into a, a conversation and it, it got a little bit philosoph- philosophical where we were saying basically, or questioning the fact that does the rights holder ultimately have the power over the up the re-uploader if they're not willing to take the matter to court basically is that the final uh, just so just to to kind of add a bit of context from from my experience it was kind of like you claim something uh, that an uploader has uploaded they then dispute dispute the claim uh and then you then have the the final kind of resolution to say okay we'll just leave it or you can say all right no we take this down uh, as a takedown which is a, a more aggressive step than a than a block but is it the case that if they then kind of re-dispute the final action then lies with the rights holder to file Again, um, I may be totally wrong here, but was it to file papers in the state of California, something like that? First of all, is that anywhere near being correct? And if not, can you correct me? And then can you just talk a bit about, you know, how often are rights holders willing to go to that final step? And is it just a case of, I'm assuming a lot of the time, creators being able to kind of call the bluff of rights holders because I'm assuming it's not an easy process to then file papers in California, especially if you're in the UK or Germany or wherever you are in the world? Yeah. So um, generally you are correct. So there's a thing uh, called the claim dispute process, right? So if uh, we were to go and issue a a claim on a video, um, that person has the opportunity to take a look at the video and say, you know what, I think this claim is mistaken or incorrect. And so I'm going to let the rights manager, rights provider know that, uh, hey, you made a mistake here and we need you to take a look at this again. I, as the rights holder, then have the opportunity to take a look at it and 
say, yes, you know, you're right. Sorry about that. Release the claim. Or I can say, you know what, actually you're wrong. And I'm going to reinstate this claim. And that goes back and forth a couple times before ultimately getting to uh, what's called DMCA uh, takedown. And a DMCA takedown is an actual legal notification where you are saying this content infringes on my intellectual property rights. And I am legally demanding that this get removed from YouTube uh, and not go back up. At that point, the person who uploaded the video has the opportunity to counter notify that. So they can actually say, this is still wrong. And if you don't like it, then you can go ahead and sue me. And it is on the rights holder at that point to go file paperwork, not necessarily in the state of California, uh, but to go file legal paperwork um, and, and sue the person. Uh, and the only way to keep the video down at that point is to let YouTube know that, hey, here's the paperwork and I'm, I'm suing this person. First off, the number of claims that go to DMCA takedown is, is nominal at best. Um, so, you know, I, I would say it's maybe one in a thousand claims. Uh, that actually even gets to that point. And the number of claims that have gone into the realm of someone being sued over it is even lower than that, like significantly lower than that. You know, the most notable claims that have been uh, um, contested in court is definitely the H3H3 situation, uh, Ray William Johnson versus Jukin situation that occurred years back. Uh, And Lentz versus Universal is definitely one of the, like, really marquee uh, lawsuits that have, has gone up against a DMC notification. So it's pretty uncommon that that actually happens. Um, you know, Lens versus Universal is interesting because it actually does require the rights holder to do a fair use assessment prior to taking down a video. So that's a, that's a legal requirement now uh, for anyone that's issuing DMC takedowns. Now, look, with all this GDPR stuff that's going on in Europe, I think that's going to, in Article 17, I believe it is, that's probably going to change the landscape of how all that lays out a little bit. Um, and that's a bit TBD uh, until yeah. the laws get passed um, and, and, and put into action. But could be could be very interesting in the future as to how all that will, will end up. Yeah, and so uh, I'm assuming then it's mostly the case of I am a bedroom creator that's uploaded a, a fan compilation of Taylor Swift, whoever it may be, uh, and then I get a, 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 an email for or a, 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 notif- a claim notification inside of uh, my dashboard from Universal Music, whoever it may be, uh, Justin Bieber's mate. They probably just get scared and either delete the video or just you know accept the fact that they don't have the the legal right because I know a lot of your team's time uh, as as someone who's worked very closely with um, content ID teams and at some point run content ID teams. A lot of the time, it's just responding to people to let them know that just because they downloaded something from iTunes doesn't mean that they own the rights to use it anywhere. I, I'm assuming that's a lot of your time taken with with stuff like that, but ultimately. As a rights holder, you do have to be prepared to to take it all the way to court, hypothetically. Well, and you know, it's not only like court, court. I mean, it's really also the court of opinion, uh, public opinion as well. Um, you know, I mean, I've been through some of the highest profile, uh, quote unquote, fair use issues um, that have landed on Tube Filter and Variety and Hollywood Reporter yeah. and, and all of that, and you know, you, if you're going to issue claims, you got to be really sure (laughs) about what you're issuing and that, and that you actually do have the rights and that you're in the right to be issuing the type of claim that, that you're issuing. Uh, and if it gets ugly, um, and it can get really ugly. Um, you know, I mean, I've been through situations where a decision I made landed on the front page of Reddit, uh, (laughs) we're getting lit up on Twitter and, and, you know, death threats and, hate mail and people threatening to come to the office and harm us and all sorts of stuff. And, um, you know, it's content ID and rights management just in general is a very knee jerk thing because it deals with money. And it's also, it's a lot of delicate legal, you know, jumping around of what is the right thing to do here, especially if there's potentially any gray area in the situation. And there's also a lot of, I think, misunderstanding in the, creator community especially 
about what fair use even is and what, mm-hmm. what was this legal exclusion created for and meant to address, which is really nonprofit news criticism. And that's kind of it, right? Yeah. What qualifies as a legal exclusion for criticism versus what is just me stating my opinion? Uh, those are two really different things. It takes a lot of really careful thought to understand that stuff um, and, and a lot of time studying it. I mean, I've been doing it for you know almost a decade now, and it, it's, still, it's still difficult at times for me to really be able to ride that, that line of what is and what isn't. Yeah, you know, I'm part of a lot of creator communities and Facebook groups, and the, you know, the, it's a daily question. Can I use clips from someone's movies? And then invariably you're going to get another uh someone pop up in the answers and say oh yeah as long as it's less than 15 seconds you'll be fine or as long as you give them credit in the description then it's like a little part of my soul just dies every every time i read an answer like that but uh unfortunately i don't have the time to uh give them the full spiel that you know fair use is a a defense a legal defense not a kind of right but uh, yeah, so I have to leave that. Unfortunately, <laughs> it's just it's too much for me to get involved in, you know, seven times a day. But yeah, it, I definitely think that uh, maybe YouTube could could step up and do a bit more uh, in educating people ar- around that stuff. Similarly, you know, kind of similar to how they do with music, where they've got the music library where you can tell before you even uploaded a track whether what's going to happen to it, basically. But um, probably a bit difficult with every piece of video that's that's ever created uh ryan it's been an absolute pleasure i'm going to leave that as the last really hard-hitting question uh for you but one question before we wrap up is what is the the future for superbam i know we've spoken about a few plans that you have but you know where would the company be in say five years time yeah you know i i see us as as a lot of these other companies are kind of deconstructing right now um you know, I see us providing a real value. Um, we don't lose clients and we don't lose clients because, you know, we're putting additional dollars on the table for them that they can't unlock for themselves. Um, and, and they don't pay us for that. Um, which is a really unique value proposition in this industry. There's not a lot of people that have something like that. ICS is continuing to be a, a staple piece of people's business stack as they continue to go down the path of building a digital business. You know, revenue diversification is probably one of the most important things you can do as a creator. You don't want to be reliant on a single platform. If you are and something changes on that platform, which inevitably it will, you know, you can be dead in the water overnight if you only have that one uh, line of revenue. So I see rights management as an ancillary line of revenue for a lot of these people. You know, for a lot of our creators, uh, they are seeing big value out of what it is we're doing from them or for them, you know, we'll continue down that path. We'll continue to grow uh, in the creator space and and really be a partner uh, for our, our clients. Perfect segue. If uh, there are some prospective clients out there for Superbam, if there are people that need rights management or they're interested in potentially tapping into some of that untouched revenue what's the best way for people to learn more about you and the company and uh get in touch yeah for sure uh check us out at uh, superbam.com you can learn more about our services there you can even see a a client testimonial from uh, our very first client if you want to reach out to us via email uh, we can be reached at we fight for your rights at superbam.com Kind of, super. a long, kind of a long email address. <laughs> well, I was going to say super catchy. We fight for your rights at superbound.com. On that bombshell, Ryan, thank you so much for your time. I would urge you, if you are thinking about it, to get in touch with Superbam. They are by far the kind of best in class when it comes to rights management. So, Ryan, thank you again for your time. And I look forward to hopefully catching up again at Vid Summit or something later on in the year. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Tom. I appreciate it. Thanks, Ryan. Bye. Well, that was an awesome interview. As I said, I'm a big fan of uh, Ryan's way of thinking, their mission. Quite enjoyed his knowledge of Content ID. 
again, like his, his career mirrors mine in terms of like, you know, understanding, getting into that and sort of, I never went as deep as, as he did in terms of content ID and I'm not a programmer, so I didn't, you know, build any tools, which is probably why YouTube doesn't give me a, a, a CMS, damn it. But yeah, I mean, I, I personally highly respect what Superbam's doing. It's a service that the top creators need and it's less about, the, no longer about the ad sales, it's about the support because these these creators need to protect their IP. And uh, I'm, I'm sure it's not just creators they work with. They probably work with media companies as well. But again, big fan of what they're doing. Uh, that was a great interview, Tom. Yeah, huge respect for for Ryan. Now, the fact that he's got a kind of seat at the table with YouTube, uh, which me and you both know is not easy, especially once you've left a media company you know we had that communication i had a really great open communication with youtube when i worked in the the kind of corporate world and as soon as i left youtube i was not blacklisted but uh, let's say my emails were very 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 unlikely to get a response apart from the few personal friends that i still have there but the fact that he's managed to you know not only have a seat at the table, but kind of had YouTube, you know, give him a nudge, nudge, wink, wink. You should go and do this is a real credit to him and his knowledge. He really does know content ID inside and out. I've, I've spoken to him offline a number of times uh, in the last year or so that I've known him. Super smart, super knowledgeable. And um, yeah, do get in touch with him if you know this is the kind of service that you're looking for. If there's any questions you've got for Ryan, you can get in touch with him in the, the details that he gave out, or um, we'll put it. We'll put it in. The yeah, show. or you can just you know shoot me an email, and I'll get a message to him. Tom at Channel Fuel dot co. But yeah, I you know there's so much going on in the world of content ID. And yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a great business model, like you say. And I, I know you said it's not about AdSense, but no, I, I didn't mean about AdSense. I just meant it's not about ad sales. Oh, ads. Yeah, sorry. No, yeah, that's what I meant. That's what I meant to say. It's not about ad sales, but I definitely think there is another million dollar idea, which is being the super bam for you know the ad sales super bam. The ad sales as a service because honestly we can we're gonna have this argument on online and having had the conversations with a few people lately even people who build the infrastructure for ad sales youtube has taken that over they've really limited all the mcns and all that sort of stuff unless your your name is the bbc and have like a super amazing a sales team i'm not saying super pension try i just think like youtube as google being the way Google is where I've had conversations with Google where I say, Hey, why don't you guys doing this? And they're like, Oh, we can't scale that. Next thing you know, a year later, they, they decide to do it because, you know, because, Oh, somebody else yeah. is, is doing it. Right. And that's one of the, the, the risks of working with these platforms. They, you build something on their platform and then they realize, Hey, this is a good business. We should build ourselves uh, the same business and just take it away from you. I'm not saying that's going to be, going to happen to Superbam because it, it's it's not a business that uh, that can scale the way YouTube or you, Google likes to scale but the ad side of things is a completely different animal yeah I, I've yeah I've been I've had first-hand experiences of those challenges and I'm not saying that Superbam is the company that should take it on but there's definitely a gap in the market I've had a number of people approaching me to see if I know anyone that offers that service I've worked at companies where we would have bit a handoff to have a service, even if you're giving up a, a cut of the revenue, because there are companies out there that have really good inventory that could easily sell bespoke ad inventory, but the technical and financial implications are just horrific. But if there was someone that already had that experience, if there was a, a equivalent of Ryan that was from the ad sales world, as opposed to from the content ID world, I definitely think that is a... Uh, it's already there. Uh, I, I think I think we're going to be in tangent because it's 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 almost like another subject, but it's already there. There are ad networks out there that are already doing this. They're, the problem is, is they're not selling this type of inventory, or they're not smart enough to think to understand that they can do this. The ones that are partnered up in the back end of AdSense, they can already do this. They're just not understanding that they can approach a creator and sell their inventory and and help them out. Again, it's it's. I've been trying and I've been asking because I had a friend who has a huge, huge MCN in the uh, in South Asian market. And he's like asking me, it's like, hey, how do I start selling direct? And that's like, 
dude, like every MCN out there, uh, every small MCN or big MCN out there is trying to do that and they can't do it because YouTube or Google puts limitations in terms of how to do that. And again, you, you know that as well, but it, it's, it just feels like they've, they've, they've created this bar that's so high that only the people with only the Vox of this world or the, you know, big TV networks are now the the ones that can sort of sell that type of inventory and they don't touch the creators. They don't, you know, work with creators. They'd rather sell their own stuff directly. It's this weird backend world of, of the advertising world. That's it's really strange. And it's, it's funny because there is a middle ground. There is support there and it's just, they don't know how to do it. And, um, I agree. There's an opportunity. It's just uh, who's going to do it. Uh, the ones that are working with the big fish don't want to touch the middle fish. And then the middle fish don't, don't come together enough to to create another big fish. So anyways, I, I, I'm, I'm running on a tangent here, but I think you get my point. Yeah, interesting conversation. And maybe we'll find someone, maybe there's someone in the audience that could speak a bit more to this. Get in touch. Hello at videoinsiders.fm or... Get us on social at Video Insiders. Yeah, so again, a huge, huge, huge thank you to Ryan, Ryan Bosak over at Superband for taking the time to talk to us. Really, really insightful. Ryan, Superband Canada. Let's get get it going. <laughs> Call me. <laughs> <laughs> Call me maybe. <laughs> oh, throwbacks. Um, so thank you, of course, as well to our generous, generous sponsor, TubeBuddy. Remember, you can get an exclusive multi-channel discount by visiting videoinsiders.fm forward slash TubeBuddy. It works great with the awesome new YouTube studio. (laughs) That is a discussion for another episode, Carlos. Please don't get me started. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And please, please subscribe on whichever podcatcher you use. If you're already subscribed, share this with somebody that you love. We love word of mouth marketing. (laughs) We love seeing those numbers going up in terms of the downloads. So uh, keep it up, fam. Thanks, guys. And we'll speak to you in a couple of weeks with a brand new YouTube Insider Conversation. Conversation.